I never, you know, this is one thing that bugs me, and I know I'm wrong, but, like, why don't they have it so that, like, I, I I think it was one of those things that, like, people were always wondering, is James Bond a different person, like, when they change actors, or is it the same guy just experiencing all this stuff, you know, in different eras or something? I thought they confirmed, I think, with one of the ones that Daniel Craig did, that it's basically the same guy the whole time, which doesn't make any fucking sense to me. I'd like it so much better if it was, like, 007 James Bond is the code name. So, like, when they swap out actors, it's just like, okay, well, that one just ran his course and they got somebody else to take up the code name. Yeah. Um, I think that works a lot better. I think we only really have that strong of a feeling about it because it takes them so long. I mean, understandably, because it takes them, you know, years to do a movie. And so you have... 50 years worth of movies, whereas that could have been someone's, like, 15 to 20 year career as James Bond in MI6. We even just look at at Casino Royale, which is James Bond's, you know, beginning. Right. Quantum of Solace takes place immediately afterwards, so you can almost loop those two movies together. Right. But by the time they get to Skyfall, it's, James Bond, you're so old for this job, you should probably retire. It's like, he just fucking started. That's a good point, and, and maybe because I I was very late to the James Bond game because I didn't start watching them till like my late twenties. Um, I didn't really understand that Casino Royale was supposed to be like his first mission or introduction, or like you're just now a double O seven. Like I I didn't understand that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so through that prism, I definitely get you. Or there's I think there's the internet theory that James Bond is a time lord. <laughs> like Doctor Who and just changes every now and again? Um, yeah, well, I mean, obviously he's not. <laughs> How do you know? Because it's, 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 it's not that. Where's the proof, Josh? It's because you can't disprove something doesn't mean you can assume it's true. <laughs> it's yes. the best explanation I've got. Oh, I know. But that's, that's how, unfortunately, many people operate in the world. If it is, in fact, the same guy, it, uh, Time Lord's the only way it's got to work. I, I'm not hung up on it either way, so I I can just pacify you and say, sure. <laughs> I will take it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Brian and Super Friends. I'm your host Brian Leibick. Joining me for another intimate podcast is Josh Zorch. Oh yeah, and this is uh, as close as we're ever going to get to Super Friends after dark. <laughs> the at midnight type of the show. Literally, yeah. Yeah, I think this is our thing now. When it's just you know, if you get to do the show at all, it's just the two of us shooting the shit. Uh, apparently, really late at night. I mean, if we want to make it sexy, I could take off my shirt. <laughs> and that would just be a present for me, since this is an audio-only <laughs> medium for the listeners. They can hear it. They can hear the, the fabric coming over my head. That's true. They can form <laughs> a little word picture. <laughs> That's, it. That's right. Um, all right. Just as I've been doing the last, 
I don't know how many weeks now, but opening the show, uh, if you'd like to give us some topic suggestions, questions, or comments to go on, something to go with for the 100th, we are quickly approaching that. Um, I lost my count. I don't remember what we're at. 94, 95? I don't remember what last week was now that I think about it. I think this will be 95. All right, yeah, we're getting there a lot quicker than I thought because yeah. I don't have I I still got to like organize all that shit. So, in the back of my mind, this is quickly approaching and I'm getting more and more anxious about it. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have we have faith in you. Yeah. Uh so yeah, that'll be coming up. If you want to give us some feedback, something to roll with for that show, you can hit us up on the Facebook page. We are probably a little bit more active there. Uh, you can search for Brygana Super Friends there or go to www.facebook.com slash Friends. You can also email us. We have a Gmail account now. It's BryGuysSuperFriends at Gmail. Or you can tweet us either straight up on Twitter or direct message to at BGSuperFriends. Uh, all of those will work. Feel free to give us some shit to use. Uh, if not, then you're stuck with whatever the hell we give you, and you will like it. You will. I think that's how it works. Yep. You have no choice in the matter then. Mm-mm. And that just means also that you can't complain with whatever we put out. You just, that's it. You had your chance. You, you blew it. You can't turn it off or switch another podcast or pause it or not just keep subscribing. It's, you have no ability to control that. Yeah, the 100th is required listening. Just like the 50th. If you haven't listened to the 50th, the 50th is, is, I still think that's probably one of the f- most fun episodes we've done. Oh, yeah. Like I still go back and listen to the the clip portion of that show because I I had a lot of fun with that part. I did. My best man, being my sister, actually had to rip my the headphones out of my ears during my own wedding reception because I was re-listening to the fiftieth. <laughs> That's just what happens. Uh, all right. So just as Josh and I did the last time, I think it was probably two weeks ago when we were together. Uh, we're just gonna try to play catch up on some news stories, touch on a few trailers that have come out over the last couple of weeks, and just kind of go with there. So hopefully we'll keep you up to date on some of the stuff that we've missed, or at least we haven't talked about on the show. I think I've I've been posting, or trying to post most of this stuff, so you can find it on the Facebook page if you want to read the articles. They are up there. Um, one of the things that actually broke today, and something we've talked about on past shows, uh, but Sony has been trying to get a Venom movie off the ground, and today... Sony just announced that Tom Hardy will be playing Eddie Brock in the Venom movie. And one thing that stuck out to me is that they are calling this Sony's Marvel Universe. I don't know how I feel about <laughs> that. Um I mean we've been skeptical I think about this movie since it was announced. I don't know what do you what do you think of the casting? Does that help your feelings of this movie at all? Well, I mean uh, maybe a little bit. It uh I'd be curious to know what specific truckload of money they backed up to Tom Hardy's front oh, line. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, for this, because number one, to bring him back into the comic book world after Dark Knight Rises, um, I I feel like Tom Hardy is an often forgotten actor in the last couple of years in terms of being underappreciated for his skill at his craft. Yeah. Um, if you watch any six Tom Hardy movies, you will never see the same thing in terms of body movement, voice, accent. Um, I mean, there's sometimes, yes, with like costuming and prosthetics can help and whatnot, but 
like he loses himself. Like the only the only time I ever realize I'm looking at him is if I'm watching Inception. Or, okay. Um, what was that movie he did with like Chris Pine, where they're like both? It was like an action. Oh, romance, uh, but like they both. It was like Reese Witherspoon as well. Yeah. I think. This means war. Yeah, like um, um, unless it's a role that just happens to have his regular body and face as his character. Like, you don't see Tom Hardy when you see Bane. You don't see Tom Hardy when you watch The Revenant. You barely see him when you watch Lawless. Um, I think he's very underrated by most... There's something about him, like, his name... I don't think he has a whole lot of name recognition. Yeah. Per se. Um, so given that, but but given given how good he is and those movie studios know how good he is, that's why I'm thinking Sony had to pony up a pretty penny to get him to sign on to something like this. Now, he what? might see it as a really cool acting challenge, like the split personality, the symbiotic nature of it, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's going back to the comic book world, he's going to want a payday. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we talked about this last time, they have a release date, I think. Yeah, of October fall. of next year, yeah. Right. So they had to be moving on this thing quickly if they want to hit that release date. And so that, like, even just that this announcement seemed to come out of nowhere because there was no rumors of who they might cast for Eddie Brock or Venom. It was just, bam, here he is. We got him. Yeah. So, yeah, they're really full steam ahead on this thing. Um, I do think, you know, sort of what you were saying, I think Tom Hardy will fucking crush this role. Oh, yeah. Um, I just, I just have bigger questions, I think, about Sony's direction with the movie and now this Sony's Marvel Universe thing. I don't, I, there's more questions there, I think, than anything. The casting I'm okay with. The rest of the movie just sounds like a shit show to me. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, because if you're familiar with Venom and Eddie Brock, the whole thing of his origin story is that Spider-Man gets a alien costume from space. It starts to feed on his bad emotions. He rids himself of the suit. It falls to Eddie Brock, who at that point in his life hates Peter Parker and hates Spider-Man. The alien suit feeds on both of those and makes Venom, which is one of Spider-Man's greatest adversaries in the comics. With that in mind, how do you make a Venom movie without Spider-Man? Because we have no indication that Sony is going to be able to use Spider-Man if Spider-Man is now in the MCU because of the Sony-Marvel deal. Now, for all we know, they could they could use Spider-Man. They could be a different Spider-Man. That would mean they would recast Spider-Man again for a fourth time in, what, ten years? And they would effectively have two different actors playing the same character in their own movies. Yeah. Simultaneously. Yeah. Because it's it doesn't make sense for them to be able to use Tom Holland. If they use Tom Holland in the Venom movie, suddenly Venom is part of the MCU. And this is they're specifically saying Venom is part of Sony's Marvel Universe. So that's not going to cross over. So, I don't know. Any ideas how they could do a <laughs> Venom movie without Spider-Man? I mean, nothing's coming to mind. I mean, and it also, like, every time I, I, I hear you say that phrase and I'm looking at it in the articles... Yeah, so Sony's Marvel. Okay, first of all, Marvel Studios 
existed on its own before Disney acquired it, and so therefore they got to coin the phrase the Marvel Cinematic Universe, simply denoting that any character or storyline continuity, etc., etc., that exists in these films should be taken separately from anything that's ever been done in print or animated form before. Just it's another medium to separate. So basically, basically so they didn't have fanboys and girls down their throats, you know, about how, well, this comic line that happened in the 70s that you're now using is different than what you just did in that movie. Yeah. Yes. So look, we created this term. It's cinematic universe. It's on the movie screen. Just take it as separate and, and, and enjoy it. So that term that has been coined and it's been used for the last almost nine years coming up. And it just seems like now Sony seems like that kid in middle school who was never part of a group, but one like of a particular group wanted to be part of that particular group. And it's like forever kind of like walking behind them down the hall, shouting in a way that like tries to make other like they're hoping other people that pass by think that they're associated with them. <laughs> yeah. Um like, oh look, we, we we have one Marvel character too. And look at look look at our universe over here. It's the Sony Marvel universe. You know that other thing that you've been saying for almost a decade? Oh don't forget about ours. Well, they notice, I think, that Marvel, that Marvel is the key word in Sony's Marvel universe because all they have the rights to are Spider-Man characters. So why not call it Sony's Spider-Man universe? Right, exactly. So they're trying to get the success by association of that brand. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do think the full brand, not just one character. I think I might have said this before when we talked about it. I think there's a way you could do this movie, and you could sort of, you you. Obviously, if Eddie Brock is going to be Venom, that's the guy you're focusing on. Put the movie from his perspective so you could see Eddie, like, trying to get work or sell pictures to, like, the Daily Bugle. And then you see someone just leaving, like, Jay Jonah's office as Eddie's coming in to sell pictures. And then when he talks to Jonah, he goes, oh, no, Parker just sold me pictures. So you see Eddie start to get, like, rejected every time he goes there just because Peter's right before him. So you don't actually meet Peter. You're just seeing him in passing. Sure. Same sort of thing with Spider-Man. As you could see Eddie cross with Spider-Man, Spider-Man somehow just gets in his way, because you could just put somebody in costume for that. You don't even really have to have them talk. You basically lead up to the clock tower sequence in Spider- Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, which was excellently done in yeah. that movie. And you just shoot it from the ground up, of Eddie being on the ground. This thing drips down on him, he gets the suit. The only problem with that, if if you lead to all that the movie would lead to an eventual confrontation with Spider-Man, which we don't even know if they'd be able to do in this movie. So I don't know how you'd wrap that movie up, but the first act or two could be done that way. I just don't know how to finish that movie. Uh, yeah, that that's a good point. Um, but I mean, you've gotten pretty far down the road already. I, I think they might've had an advantage if what they had accepted was, we're not going to have our own thing here. If we... Basically, they just needed to keep the Spider-Man deal going with any of the characters or properties that they had license to. 
Yeah. And and, and to be fair, at, at least me, like I, I'm not, I don't care enough to actually have it affect my life where I could say, oh, well, if they have Spider-Man and then they have Venom and Spider-Man is in that movie too, then that means that Venom is in the, the MCU. And then does that mean that they have to, you know, wh- why isn't Iron Man ever talking about Venom? Like, dude, I don't care. Like, I, I, I can be a moviegoer and enjoy this entertainment and just let it exist. And yes, wreck it. Because not every single thing that happens in every single comic book that potentially has a connective tissue always has to cross paths. They don't always have to be involved with each other. So Yeah, but part of it is, like, if you're going to make it a point to say it's part of the MCU, then I think there needs to be some, cro- like, at least a mention or some sort of Easter egg hints that they are together in the same thing. Potentially. But, but for you- something like this that is making a point to try to stay separate, if it if it still sort of leads, like, blurs the line between is it connected, is it not connected, that just confuses people. It, it could. So, the, you know what, the next time Spider-Man pops up in another major... MCU characters movie or vice versa there's a throwaway line about like saw that nasty business with the with the black suit or something like it just it's a throwaway line yeah it's it's a mention you don't need them on screen you don't need them in the script it's not a plot point then fine then you've addressed it you've you've acknowledged it's there and you move on so like, would you rather totally would you rather Venom be part of the MCU, or do you think this Sony Marvel universe is where it should stay? If they're if they're looking to do it now, then I think it would have to be its own, and it would have to be separate. Okay. If if they would wait till like after Infinity War, by chance, and we see like whatever Phase Four is and what goes beyond it then I think it could be cool to have him brought in properly as, as more of an interactive part of what we know already. Um, but if he, even at that point, if he wasn't, whatever, just give me a cool movie, tie, tie, tie up your loose ends so it's not contradictory storytelling, and I'm fine with that. I mean, there's, yeah, so, much, I... there's so much going on in the MCU that, like, if, if it was... If the Spider-Man fabric had been woven in from Phase 1, it would be really cool. Yeah. You can't turn the clock back, though. So given that it's not right now, I don't think you can shoehorn him in in any way. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm... Again, even just they're calling this Sony's Marvel Universe, they obviously think they have some sort of a plan happening now. So I'm curious (laughs) to see what else they're going to start putting under that banner. Like, I know there was rumors of, like, a Silver Sable... Uh, Black Cat team-up movie thing. Right. I don't know if they're still trying to get Sinister Six off the ground, but that was something that was trying to be done a couple years ago. Right, and that's the thing. I, I think, like, that exact... Like, the, I remember the the Silver Sable stuff was more recent, but the Sinister Six, I think, was when they were still presuming... Like, that was after Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like, right, right, before, yeah. right before that released... That's when they were talking about, uh, you know, Drew Goddard working on Sinister Six and these other things happening. Like, but that, it, it's like they didn't learn the lesson. Like, well, ama- yeah. ama- <laughs> that's the point. Right. You know, Amazing Spider-Man 
that iteration didn't work because you made all the same mistakes. And so now you, I don't want to say sold the character back to Marvel because they obviously didn't, but this is the road you had to go down to make it viable and make it workable. So now you're even in, in a tighter position that it's just going to be more awkward if you continue to try to do these Spider-Man-only connective movies as if they have nothing to do with that other stuff because it's going to be even more glaring. Yeah. So that's the thing. Just like continue that partnership. Let Marvel make some really good movies for you. Reap the financial reward. And, you know, that that's it. Like, sorry, like you guys had 15 years. You didn't do something well. Let someone else do it. Because they don't even have to relinquish um, the financial rights. They're still going to make money on it. Yeah, I mean, if Sony, I think if Sony was smart, what they should do is sort of what you were saying a little bit is be a little bit more patient and not just try to rush this right after like Marvel has only used Spider-Man for one movie, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Homecoming is not out yet. And they're already before Homecoming saying, "Okay, we're going to do all kinds of Spider-Man stuff on our own." Yeah. Why not just wait until at like Phase 4 starts and see what Marvel has done with it? And if for I feel like it's going to be up to Sony whether or not this deal is renewed somehow after Marvel is done using Spider-Man. So at that point, Spider-Man is still a very hot commodity and Sony has stepped away from it for a little bit. At that point, maybe they can come in and say, okay, now we have a better idea how to make these movies. Now we can do it our way. We'll try it with this. But I guess they just don't want to wait another like five years to try to get a Spider-Man movie or some offshoot of Spider-Man on screen. So I don't know. It, None of it sounds good. The casting, yes, I'm okay with, but the rest of the stuff, I, I, I'm still so fucking skeptical about this movie, and especially this universe. Well, they've already. I mean, am I correct in thinking that they already confirmed or announced, whether unofficially or officially, that the Spider-Man Two solo, if you will, is confirmed for like 2020 as like the kickoff of Phase Four. Oh, uh, that could be. Or or I could be wrong. It might it might actually be the summer of two thousand nineteen, like two or three months after Infinity War Part Two, or whatever it's gonna be called, but Avengers Four. Yeah. Um so Yeah, it might actually have a release date. I don't I don't remember. Right, so if now, that, that you, now that you mention it. Yeah, like if that's the case Like it looks like the roadmap is kind of already ahead of them, so why are they uh, they're gonna screw it up. <laughs> I mean, this whole discussion yeah, that's is more to, really centering yeah. around, like, how can they potentially not screw it up? Let's talk about that. And I, it just might be an, an inevitability. Yeah. And I'm kind of pulling for that, because the more they screw up, the more Marvel looks good, and hopefully they, you know, somehow just sell it. I don't I don't know yeah. if it's good if they, if Sony, like, Spider-Man, regardless, is bankable. Bad oh, movie, yeah. good movie, it still makes money. True. So it just depends if the bad movies are still making enough for Sony based on the cost or if they're actually going to start losing money on a Spider-Man branded stuff and they can just, you know, just get rid of them. Because people know Spider-Man. I don't think people, normal people, non-comic book fans know Venom. Non-comic book fans know Spider-Man, which is why Sony was able to market Spider-Man movies to whoever – I don't know who they're going at with Venom. I don't know if you can market this to just, you know, quote-unquote normal people. Right. 
especially like a Silver Sable and Black Cat movie. Like, who the fuck knows about them? I'm a comic book fan and don't even know about Silver Sable. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, let's take it back a decade. I mean, Iron Man was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. It was the right director with the absolute right choice for lead actor championed by that director a wonderful script the appropriate amount of money put behind it to make it look good and otherwise iron man was a shot in the dark i mean in the previous like four or five years before that what had come out that was really successful hardly nothing ghost ghost rider fell flat you had two fantastic four movies that really went nowhere punisher daredevil like comic book movies other than x-men nothing was going well uh, I, well i'll take that back i mean you had the batman begins revival and people were anticipating dark knight but marvel especially like nobody had a successful go at it really well sony spider-man was successful at that point uh, Spider-Man 1, 2, true. and 3 were, were right before... Well, 3 was probably right before Iron Man. It was. It was a year before, but 3 was also the end of that because of all the mistakes they made, and they're like, oh, crap, we're not we're not going to continue this iteration Correct. of it. Correct, yeah, but that movie still made a shit ton of money. Well, so that... successful-wise, it, it's deemed to success. Well, right, but it made a lot of money because the first two preceding it were really good. Right, because it came off Spider-Man 2, which was fucking fantastic. Right. And then, you know, yes, financial... It it did not make a lot of money because, you know, people saw it and told a lot of other people, you need to go see this movie, it was so amazing. It made a lot of money because its predecessors were very good, and the fact that it was the reason that the franchise was cancelled and then rebooted five years later is proof that it was not a success. So... Iron Man was a a very big gamble at that point. It feels like that's the point that Sony is going all the way back to. Like, let's pick out these no-name, unrecognizable things and and just see if it sticks. And it's not, it's not going to. I mean, Venom might look like a cool movie in the end, depending on what they end up producing. But... I, I, I'm. I don't think it's gonna be much of a starter. I think you're gonna well, have especially. A... Sorry, I didn't mean no, to go cut ahead, you. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just thinking too that I think the last time we talked, weren't they talking about making this R-rated? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, at least so that's already gonna. Yeah, that's gonna be a little bit more specified now too. Not only are you going to, because if they're trying to hit a broad audience like comic book fans, non-comic book fans, it has to be PG-13. I don't think you can make an R-rated Venom movie and have it be successful with people other than comic book fans. Um, yeah, probably not. Cause, I mean, because it's already such a specialized character that, like, something like, again, talking about lightning in a bottle, maybe Logan appealed to people who might not have been, you know, who would consider themselves as big of, like, comic book fans or comic book movie fans. I think a lot of people identify or like Wolverine specifically enough. That and Hugh Jackman. And and Hugh Jackman. And people have been waiting for something like that for so long with X-Men that right. they were happy to have like an R-rated Wolverine movie, especially where he could just tear the heck out of stuff in such a graphic nature. 
which you knew would just be the real nature of what would happen with him. With, with Venom, I don't know. Yeah, like the only the only thing it would benefit, like you don't necessarily need language in a Venom movie. Um, if you're going to rate it R, of course yeah. you will have it because it's rated R. Why wouldn't you? But the only thing it's going to afford you is the ability to have pretty much more graphic injuries yeah. and more graphic violence. And I don't know if people really care that much. Like you might be able to get away, especially with things seeming like they're getting a little more lenient in the PG-13 realm. Right. You might be able to get away with a lot more and, and make, you know, a good enough movie. Yeah, I mean, if they're just looking for Venom to be a little bit more scarier and play that sort of horror element, there are good PG-13 horror movies out there that you can you can frame that around that and work within a PG-13 rating. I think Sony seems like if they're pushing this R rating for Venom, that whole discussion we had after Deadpool and Logan, I think Sony is pulling the wrong lessons from rated R comic book movies being successful. And they're trying to capitalize on the wrong things. Just because it's comic book and rated R, suddenly they think it's going to make money, regardless of whether or not it needs to be there for the character, which is what worked for Logan and Deadpool. You know, that's a it's a big difference. And, and certain st- the studios that know what they're doing can tell a difference. Sony has not convinced me that they know what they're doing, and I don't think they can tell a difference. No, and and that's going to be the nail in their coffin for all this. Is they they're not aware that they don't have a handle on how to do this well. Yeah. Especially, which which, which is a shame because, I mean, they like you said, they did with those first two Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. Um, I think, I, I, not that I'm in the huge minority, but I think Spider-Man 2 in particular is one of the, the, the best ever made. I think it holds up comparatively. Um, I mean, the, the MCU has benefited from elongated and and sort of the long con storytelling that no other endeavor has really taken on before they've of course benefited from 15 to 20 more years of special effects innovations and 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 all that but in terms of just a solid solid movie i think spider-man 2 is honestly one of the best in my opinion so they had something there at one point and you just don't know when it went off the rails yeah, I mean, if I had to guess, it was studio interference. Like, I think I think Raimi had a vision. Because the movies made so much money, the studio thought they could intervene and make it more money by adding certain elements and stuff like that, Venom specifically being one. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, had you just let the director make what he wants to make, which is a problem, you know, again, with most studio systems, but that's just how Hollywood runs things. It seems to be because I remember at the time Spider-Man three came out. I think it was like the first movie that like ever cost three hundred million to make or something like that. It had at the time it had some production cost record, I believe. And then I mean, like you said, it did make a lot of money, but there was no second viewing. You know, people were not going back to the theater two and three times to see Spider-Man three in theaters. And you know, it just, whatever that X factor was about the whole thing, just made the whole thing fall flat. You know, we're still kind of trashing it. It, (laughs) it was 
258 million to make. It too, maybe it's 250 was like the the thing it I thought it passed. Now the worldwide that. worldwide this thing made 890 million. Yeah. So it is you know definitely a success like three times over. Yeah, I I mean financially in that way, right, you can't look at it any other way, but I mean, the fact that it killed the franchise. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the bigger thing, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to look at... Yeah, because even Spider-Man 2 was $200 million. That only made $783 million. The original Spider-Man... Let me look that one up. And I think Spider-Man 2 also benefited a lot from... You know, there was three years in between 2 and 3. I think that benefited a lot from DVD sales and, you know, shared viewing and whatnot. That's why the anticipation... Four Spider-Man three was so high. Yeah, Spider-Man one, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man one was 139 million budget. That one made 821 million. So out of the three, Spider-Man three is still the highest grossing out of that trilogy. Yeah. So at the yeah, I wouldn't be surprised though if you look at like Pirates of the Caribbean three. It's probably the same thing in that trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because I no. think that'll take us off on another another <laughs> tangent. I think we've covered Venom enough. I think I think it's sure. time to move on. I mean, it's 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 just the whole to sum it up. I think for like any story about the Spider-Man Sony universe, whatever they're going to call it, I think it's just going to have a perpetual question mark. It's going to be wait wait until they give us a thing and then see how badly it sucks. Yeah. I'm I'm I have no doubt every time they release something it'll be something worth discussing and bitching about. <laughs> but it's going to so, come down to the same thing until the next product right. comes out. It's like what the frick. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll be talking about this again. Yeah. Um all right, on to some other movie news. Yes. Uh on it what? looks like we'll be getting another Hellboy movie, just not the one you'd expect. Yeah, I heard uh, about this. I was I was I was curious but kind of bummed at the same time. Yeah, I started looking some stuff up. Apparently, Millennium is working on an R-rated Hellboy reboot with Neil Marshall directing and David Harbour as Hellboy. So Neil Marshall is probably most well-known for directing The Descent and some Game of Thrones episodes. Harbour has been popping up in rumors for a lot of stuff recently after being in Stranger Things. Right. Um... And wherever I was reading about this, they sort of elaborated that Millennium would be the third studio to make a Hellboy movie. First Hellboy movie with Guillermo del Toro directing and Ron Perlman as Hellboy was made by Revelation Studios, released by Sony. The sequel, Hellboy the Golden Army, was the same creative team, but it was made by Universal and not Revelation. Which I didn't know. I didn't realize there was two different studios in there. No, I wouldn't have guessed that. Uh, neither one of them saw very good box office numbers that would warrant more movies. I think that might be why it's been passed around. The first one came out before comic book heroes were really a big Hollywood cash cow, so that probably didn't help. Yeah. Uh, and the sequel could probably be considered a victim of a really, really unfortunate release window. Yeah. It was released six days before another comic book movie that (laughs) broke box office records. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? The Dark Knight. Yes. This is 2008. Yeah, you you, th- you you think they could have seen that coming? 
You would think, because which ba- leads me to believe that Universal <laughs> must not have had any like faith in faith the movie, in that they wanted to move it so it would have its time. They just figured, nope, it's going to die anyway. Just put it out there and let's be done with it. Uh, and that's a shame because I, I – and I don't want to think that, but it's hard to think anything else because Batman Begins was not the box office juggernaut that a lot of comic book movies were and definitely not the one that, that The Dark Knight was. But it made a good amount of money, and critically and fan-wise, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's there's a very small minority who would crap on that movie. And oh, yeah. so when and and then it's like Universal had every chance to move that release date for Hellboy Golden Army. Like once the news of Heath Ledger's death came, I think like the January before the release of Dark Knight, like the the curiosity and anticipation about that movie just grew and grew every day oh yeah and yeah i don't know why they would put it out a week before like hellboy is not even a like a good like summer blockbuster movie like i'm looking at the the release date for the first one was april of 2004 like yeah that's like a spring maybe like a February release, like in the lull of things when you get some, and, and it sucks because I enjoy the, the heck out of those two Hellboy movies. I think they're really good. They're like, I'll say like the unsung heroes of some of those comic book movies. Like I actually would credit them with keeping like the comic book movie going in the same way that like Spawn did in the late nineties. Oh yeah. Like when there was yeah. nothing else good out, those were good. Yeah. I, you know, it's been a while since I watched the golden army. I think I've only, seen it one like maybe twice but the first hellboy i really really like the first hellboy oh yeah i i said i mean they were innovative they looked really cool they're like they didn't skimp on the makeup though and, and that was the the other thing that was good i don't i don't really remember a whole lot of big cgi stuff in it i mean i'm sure there was but the makeup and the prosthetics on those movies were just like second to none they were yeah they did a lot of practical stuff for a lot of that which was good yeah like but without making it look flat without making it look stupid like it it look it did look like a print i mean i I think this phrase is overused a lot like when they say it was a comic book come to life but it, it was like a print image an imaginary like someone out of someone's imagination just right in front of you yeah, the shapes, the yeah. colors, the look, just everything. So that kind of leads to my point. Then, how okay. do you feel about another Hellboy movie without Del Toro behind the camera? I'll be interested to see it. Um, other than these movies, I don't know anything about Hellboy. I don't read his books, the comics, or anything like that. But I, I do enjoy it. So I will be curious to see what they come up with. I'm happy that the creator of the character is involved in this as well. Um, if it was just, you know, someone who had snatched up some rights trying to recreate something, I probably wouldn't care that much. Um, but it gives me hope that, that he is uh, this interested to stay this involved. And so, you know, yeah, I think from what I read, I think he was attached to writing a script, but then the last thing I read was that the script is being rewritten. So I don't know if he's involved, if the creator of the character uh, is involved with the rewrites or not. Um, I mean, I, the, the impression I got from the stories I was seeing characterize, characterize it to me as though he, he is going to be involved. 
like to some So even to just some like degree. producer credit or something like that. Producer even but maybe it's not a screenplay credit but maybe it's story. Okay. You know something yeah. like that like I don't th- I and I I don't think it's lip service. I don't yeah, think okay. it's I didn't get the impression that like it's producer in name because like we're giving him a producer credit because he's the creator of the characters. All right. Like I think he's going to be involved. That's how it sounded to me. Um obviously David Harbour taking it on I think is really cool. I'd like to see what he can do with right. it. I think his face structure, his bone structure, his his body stature is a good choice for the role. Um, yeah, I think that's what I'm more curious about is how he's going to fill the Hellboy role. Because mm-hmm. Perlman fucking owned that thing. Oh, God, yeah, he was perfect, right? And it's it's going to be really hard to see somebody else do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I'm, I'm curious enough to see how it turns out. Yeah, I think, I mean, I guess it's that idea, like, any Hellboy would be better than no Hellboy. Yeah. And so with with the creator being on board and, and with the idea of, of David Harbour taking that role on, like I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give it a shot. Well, this is the other thing that I think they're, they're pushing for is sort of like the Venom movie. They want to make this R-rated. Do you think the Hellboy movie needs to be R-rated or you think this is another one of studios taking the wrong lessons from rated R comic book movies that are successful? It depends. Again, not really knowing enough backstory about the character. I mean, I think they created two absolutely fine films at a PG-13 level. Um, I guess I could see a lot of the elements involved where you could take it to R for... Uh, see, I, I guess with this... like. With things like Spawn or, or Hellboy, where they, they kind of exist on their own. You know, they don't need to necessarily be beholden to these other characters, these other story arcs, these other universes. They can exist on their own without having to worry about any of that. Yeah. Um, I could absolutely see, because I think Spawn was rated R. I could absolutely see Hellboy in a type of movie where people are swearing a lot and the violence is more Logan-ish, but it would fit. Like, with Venom, it seems like that would be just a stretch trying to see what they can do with an R-rated comic book character. Hellboy, yeah, I, was just... I, think it would, I think it would be very it would be very fitting. It, w- it wouldn't seem out of place. I think I always just assume every time that they want to make a movie rated R, it's just because they want to make it more graphically violent. Right. I mean, I guess the like language barrier the could could do it too. If you just want to say "fuck" a couple more times, you get rated R. Right, and, and I mean, for I could these movies. I could, why do it just for that reason? You're just going to alienate people for no point. Right. I mean, I could I could sort of see Hellboy just swearing again. I don't read the comics either, but just sort of his attitude of like, I don't give a fuck. I could see him swearing a lot more, and to sort of warrant the rated R if they want to go that route. But I do think they're going to play it up more for like the monster violence side of it. Like the, all the demon stuff that he would probably be fighting, right? And th- and that's the thing. I mean, think of the imagery of all that and the nature of it. Um, like when, when I was reading a lot of um, when I was reading Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run, if they made a Swamp Thing, I don't. Well, I don't think you could make a good Swamp Thing movie after reading that 
that would just be a movie, but if you made a, a series, it would have to be like effectively like a rated R series to make it good. It, I feel like Hellboy falls in that same kind of realm. Um, okay. There's so much going on with creatures, and like I said, I mean, the nature of it is devils and demons and stuff. Would it be absolutely fitting for it to be a little out of left field and kind of effed up with? graphic violence and and whatnot um yeah i i, I and th- that's the thing it would not seem out of place for the subject matter for it for it to be there in the, in the same way that it would seem i think very gratuitous uh for something like venom to make a contrast like that right yeah i guess i'm just maybe in the minority with the with the graphic violence side of it just more more to the point of just like the first two hellbow movies were pg-13 and i don't think they lost anything because of the rating? Uh, I, I don't, but I think in this case, I do see... I, I, I could see places they could go with the imagery and the the injuries and the incidents and, and whatnot um, where the the level of detail of, like, him effing up a demon or, you know, like a hell spawn of some sort, like, you could do things there that you can't do in a PG... 13 true that it, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily just for violence sake it's not for gore it's not for anything it's just perhaps showing a different uh possibility of something that seems very plausible where this hellboy character is like ripping off the wing of some parademon you know yeah like, yeah and and you need certain visual and prosthetic and and special effects to make that look a certain way and that will garner an r rating but it will look really friggin cool okay all right i got you you know i'm I'm not thinking in the realm of like gratuitous violence just for the sake of it just to go over the top with blood or torn limbs or this or that like but it just seems to fit what the frick's going on which again that's sort of the the fear that i have with studios seeing Deadpool and Logan make money, that that's the direction they want to go. Oh, they're going to, we have to, you know, make it R rated and make it super violent. Cause that's what sells. No, it's because that's what works for the character and the style of the, the source material and stuff like that. You don't just throw gratuitous violence at every comic book character. It doesn't always stick. Right. And I admit there's even, I wouldn't say a whole sequence, but there's a few moments in Deadpool that I thought they could have pulled back in some little spots for that reason, but then I had to think, you know what, I don't know enough about the people who created this character and the comics that they've written. Maybe this is absolutely in line with what people are used to for for this, and if and if that's the case, then it, then it fits. Then it wasn't just for the sake of putting another bloodshot somewhere, or, you know, it, it was absolutely appropriate. Yeah, I think... Deadpool is sort of like the perfect storm with all that stuff. I think the violence, and I'm not really big into the gratuitous violence anyway, but I feel like I was able to enjoy it a little bit more in that movie just because it was played for comedy and not the, like, let's all see how gruesome. I mean, I guess it's still like, let's see how gruesome we can kill people, but it was still part of the joke is how he's killing people and being that violent. And again, right. that's how he is in the comic and stuff. So that fit for me. Sure. So yeah, I guess we'll, yeah we'll see how they do with with Hellboy. Uh, we'll try to keep an eye keep our eyes on it. I'm 
really curious to see a trailer and see how quickly this comes together and see how, how the aesthetic looks, if it's going to be on par with what Del Toro sort of set up for his universe and look, how much drastically different it could be if they're trying to distance themselves from Del Toro's director, you know, look and style of, of the other Hellboy movies. So, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, did you happen to see any of the news you saw about it? Did they mention possible timelines or, or hopeful release dates? I didn't see that yet. It seems like it's moving pretty quickly, so I would not be surprised if it's out within the next two years. Uh, yeah, I, I figured that was attainable, but I didn't know if... Uh, I, I hadn't seen anything that mentioned it, so I didn't know if they were, you know, like Venom, like, oh, it's going to be out in October of next year, and we just started casting. Um, yeah. I don't think it's on that ambitious of a timeline, but I don't know if it was one of these, like, oh, well, maybe in the next three to four years. Um, But, yeah, things could get get moving soon. And, and, yeah, it'll just be like a wait-and-see kind of thing, but I think it has promise. Yeah. Uh, all right, moving on. Yeah. We'll talk about. Uh, I got a couple of TV show stories to touch on. Oh, okay. Uh, we got one from Marvel TV and FXX have announced that Donald Glover and Steven Glover are developing a Deadpool animated series for the network. Uh, the Glovers will share showrunner responsibilities, they will executive produce the show, and they will also serve as writers on the show. Uh, there's no firm release window other than sometime in 2018, uh, and it'll be on FXX. I, I imagine it's going to sort of fall in line with, like, Archer and that kind of thing. Mm, okay. Uh, so what do you think of uh, this news, animated series from, from the Glovers? Well, it seems like Donald Glover is becoming... Uh, I mean, he's, he's he's like the Chris Hardwick of like acting and on screen production like Jesus Christ the guy is in Spider-Man Homecoming um he's doing this isn't he he's in the uh he's in the Han Solo movie yes right yep um he's going to be Simba in John Favreau's Lion right. King that's right um and i mean effectively like 3 years ago i mean i guess unless i i guess i i heard he used to be on community i loved him on community but, uh, i it was a show that I never got into and never watched it, but, um, like, other than that, like, you didn't really know the name, Donald Glover. <laughs> yeah. Now the dude's freaking everywhere. Um, and he raps, too. Like, he has yeah. a full-blown rap career. And I think this is, well, this sucks for me, but whatever. Um, I think he was in Magic Mike 2. You would know. I spent a Valentine's Day with, in, for a wife. <laughs> in a theater. That's <laughs> all you gotta say. Last year, yeah. Say. But um, you know, a, a friend of mine at work brought brought this cartoon up the other day, and I said, you know, I think it 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 could be cool for Deadpool, but I really think they're they're oversaturating stuff, and and like collectively, the companies that want to do this, I think, really need to be careful, like, and, and not just with general fandom stuff, but you have four or five six comic book movies coming out a year now you have multiple shows on netflix multiple shows but you have an you have an x-men live show on what fox is that where legion yeah. is yeah you have agents well, uh, no fox uh legions on fx F oh okay fx you're gonna have this on fx effectively um uh you have agents of shield 
So, I mean, you have network TV, you have streaming TV, you have multiple big budget movies per year. Then, then there's already been, you know, multiple animated series as companions to these things. I, I, I know they're like, oh, this is the heyday for, for comic book properties, but I don't know. It, I'm not saying it, 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 it's, it's not a reason. I'm not saying it's a reason not to do this, but just to me, it feels like they're really running with any idea they have rather than making sure that what they're making is good. And so when when it starts to get oversaturated, even if the thing you're making is good, it can hurt you because there's just so much out there and people can't absorb it all. Well, it's the same problem that Sony is having with the Spider-Man property, Fox is doing with the X-Men property. Okay. The comic book stuff is successful. We have these licenses. We have to use them just because we they are bankable right now. So what can we do? Let's just throw as much as we can at the wall and see what sticks. I'm not saying, you know, what, like what you're saying, I'm not saying this is going to be bad. I'm actually really looking forward to this just because of Donald Glover and the creative team behind it. I have all the faith in Donald Glover and what he puts his hands into. And Deadpool, I think, can only work basically as an animated cartoon if you're going to put it on TV. Uh, and I think if you yeah. if you put it on FX and like the, the FX X network, whatever they're, they, wherever they stow it, uh, I think it can get away with a little bit more on TV because of the network that it's on, which I think would fit for Deadpool. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm actually kind of anxious to see how this turns out. I, I am too. Don't get don't get me wrong. I think it could be really cool. I'm just hoping that it doesn't um, suffer anything, uh, you know, by association because of all of the content that's out there. Yeah. Well, I think... This has one thing going for it, and it's animated. I think I think being a cartoon sets it apart from most of the other stuff that's on TV being live action. True. So I think I think that would help. Yeah, I I, I hope so. I mean, like it definitely has promise. I think that it's a good medium for that character because you're only going to get a Deadpool movie every two to three years. Yeah. And I think the nature of the nature of the character is. I mean, he is like a living cartoon. True. Yeah. I mean, he he really is like that medium is probably good for him to to exist in so like i said the, the product they create could be really cool and um i mean i'll be anxious I'll be... anxious to see it but i i hope it uh avoids you know potholes of of other things that's all i'm actually really curious to see who they get to voice deadpool for the cartoon <laughs> that's a good point who do you um... have anyone in mind I mean, if it's not Ryan Reynolds, which I don't think they'll get, nah. um, the only other one that I can know of, and mainly because I've I've heard him voice the character in a lot of other things, is uh, frequent voice actor Nolan North. I don't know if you know the name from anything, but I do not. he does a lot of animation and video game voiceovers, and he's voiced Deadpool in a lot of different video games. Oh, okay. So he's the one that immediately comes to mind for me. I'd be perfectly fine with him, but I'd kind of be curious to see if they get somebody else. Because, again, if you're not into the voiceover world or the video game world and you throw out Nolan North, not many people know the name. So I don't know if they need a little bit more star power behind the voice of Deadpool for the cartoon to try to bring people in. Uh, potentially. I, I I don't know if they will or not because, I mean, the types of – I mean, I know there will be limits because it will still be TV, but 
I mean, it's like premium cable TV, but still, um, there might be certain things and certain boundaries that they're going to push with it. Yeah. That a, you know, very established, notable actor or voice actor that has like a lot of name recognition might not want the heat. Oh, I got you. Taking that on. All right, so I'll put it this way. I I will be surprised if it's not Nolan North. Okay. Okay. That that'll be my guess. I'm I'm I would put money on them picking Nolan North just from sheer experience of him voicing the character before. Right. And he's probably not as expensive as other voice actors that are or at least like big name people that are out there. Sure. If you're trying to go for for recognizable name actor. Um yeah, I think he would he would work. He's probably a busy dude, so we'll see if he can if he can do it. Um all right, moving on to another TV topic. Oh, okay. Uh, I am Global Television announced that they are working on a Judge Dredd TV series I called heard Judge that's... Dredd Mega City One. Okay. Uh, they were th- the article I read was ma- uh, throwing out some names. So they said the series will be produced by Mark Stern, who worked somehow on Battlestar Galactica, uh, Stuart Ford, who worked on Hacksaw Ridge. I heard that. And yes. Jason and Chris. Kingsley, who produced the most recent movie, Dread, with Carl Urban. Mm-hmm. Uh, no release date cast crew or network has been revealed yet, so we don't even know where this is going to come out, where it's going to end up. Um, current rumors are saying there is a possibility that they can get Carl Urban back for the role for the TV show. Mm-hmm. So we're sort of at a wait-and-see approach. Did you did you see Dread? I did. Carl Urban Dread movie? I did. So you, did, what did you think? Um... I in I liked the direction they took it more than the Stallone version. Um, again, this is a character that I don't have a particular investment in, uh, or 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 background. But what I was shown, I I enjoyed that incarnation of it, that uh, mood of it more yeah. more than the Stallone version. I think this could actually work really well as a series. There's something about the character, like, like I think inherently Judge Dredd aesthetically feels too much like RoboCop. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Just in the, like, because one of the, I remember a few years ago listening to, you know, I guess fans of Dredd or people who are familiar with it comment about the Stallone version, and they're like, yeah, you know, 13 years ago when I was watching that. I can't believe, like, he takes his helmet off in the first, like, ten minutes of the movie. Dread never takes his helmet off. That was the first, you know, bad thing about that movie. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh, okay, so Dread keeps that visor hood ma- uh, helmet thing on the whole time. So if that's the case, just aesthetically, like I said, just the look of him, you're really left with a, a still human RoboCop. Yeah. Like that that's that's all you have left. So that's fine. It just it it limits I think what you can do with him on screen a lot um in a movie at least. So uh taking it to a series um I I don't yeah, I'd be interested to see if they can make me care about him more. I I was entertained yeah by the Carl Urban movie, but um I'd like to care about things a bit more. 
Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about the Dread movie. That's actually one I haven't seen. I need to watch it at some point, mm-hmm. just because, again, I've heard so many good things about it. I, it. It was on Netflix at one point. I should actually look and see if it's still there. Yeah, I think it, that might have been where I finally saw it. Um, What was the name connected to Hacksaw Ridge that you said? Uh, Stuart Ford. And does that mention... I believe... Does that have to mention what what his role was? The article I saw didn't mention specifically what he did. I think um, I looked him up on IMDb. I think he's listed as a producer or executive producer. Oh, okay. Most of these people are just producers or somehow behind the scenes. Yeah, I found for these shows. Okay. Um, uh, So I I was gonna say I, I I enjoyed the hell out of Hacksaw Ridge. I thought it was one of the best movies I've seen in years. Um, so, I mean, that's a, a, a good check mark on, in my book. Yeah. So we'll see if he can bring some aesthetic from Hacksaw Ridge or something over and see how that translates to a dread TV show. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was one thing about the, the dread movie that I was a little bummed about. Um, the main, uh, other, I guess, companion main actress, uh, to dread, the officer, I guess, if you will, was played by an actress named Olivia Thurlby, and uh, she was in um, Juno. She was Juno's best friend in that, and, and some other things that I know her from. But I actually really enjoy her as an actress, and I thought Dread would have been a good springboard for her. And then mm-hmm. I can't easily like name anything that she was in yeah. af- after that. So like, I I feel bad that that wasn't you know apparently as much of a shooting shooting star for her as it, yeah the uh, name doesn't even sound familiar to me like i feel like i can picture her but i i'd still i i can barely remember what she looks like so I, yeah right. i'm not surprised that we're we're grasping at straws of what the hell she's been in yeah yeah um but i mean she was i thought she was good in the dread movie too um if they get carl urban back i don't know if there's you know a spot for her or any of the other actors from that incarnation, um, I mean, Lena Headey was—I I think she actually plays the like the bad guy, the villain. Yeah, that's what I remember in that. Um, and I had already known her at that point from Game of Thrones and Three Hundred. Um, I knew she was in the Sarah Connor Chronicles, though I had not seen it. Actually, I still haven't seen it, but I'd like to. That was a good show too. Um, for the little for the little bit that was on, yeah, the, and yeah, just like you know, you said you never got to dread. I never got to that, and that's definitely on my list still. But um, I think dread as a series has potential. It de- it depends on what network carries it and how it's done. That's the thing. I'm surprised they announced the show without having a place to go or any type of cast or release date or anything. It's just like, hey, we're trying to work on this thing with these people. The it's almost like let's hope this works. I th- like almost because. There's been so much, like, like I think internet fans and, and fan, well, I guess maybe fans in general, of the Dread movie have been trying to get another one of those made because I think it, it really caught fire, I feel like, after it hit home video. Yeah. And started starting getting a little bit more of a groundswell there. But the studio won't move forward on another movie. Right. So this may be the only way it works for fans of Dread, of Judge Dread, to get more Judge Dredd is through this TV show, and maybe they found a way to do a little bit cheaper on TV. I think if they get Carl Urban back, that'll be a big win. Yes. Um, as odd as it yeah, would be I don't... to have... I mean, because people recognize his face. Again, I think he's someone who doesn't have household name recognition, 
yeah. but a lot of people recognize him. Um, but it'll be interesting to have that for a character that you only really ever see his mouth. Well, I'm pretty sure he's expressed interest to come back to the role, sure. at least for a movie. Whether or not it happens for the like, if he'd agree to do a TV show, depending on how many episodes, how big of a time commitment something like that is. True, and, and I think but, um, I would love to see if they're going to do it. I would love to see a show like that, either on AMC or maybe like FXX, because admittedly, I mean FX is where um, a couple shows were like isn't that that's where american horror story is yeah and that yeah i mean that pushed tv boundaries a lot the last couple of years so there's yeah. well, there's one or two network uh stations that that could i think do it really cool otherwise i think it should go to like hbo or showtime yeah i can see that too if, if it's going to be on tv as opposed to like a streaming service you know yeah yeah, I feel like, you know, if 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 people behind these networks are paying attention to, you know, almost like internet reaction and what the fans are clamoring for, and that there's that much goodwill towards the Dread movie, you would think that whoever books this show could bring those fans to their network. So, if they're smart, I think they could they could try to snatch this up. Yeah. So yeah, I'm curious to see where that ends up being. Uh, here's a little Easter egg I forgot about. Um, Carl Urban is going to be in Thor Ragnarok. Yes, I am yeah. not going to repeat who he is playing because I, if we saw the character in the trailer, there is no way that I realized it at all. So I, there is and I, a split second of him in that trailer. Is there? Okay, so I don't, and the character he's playing, I don't know the name. I don't know anything about it, so I'm not going to spoil it for myself. But um, yeah, apparently we get a little little urban in our Thor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it just depends on what. Yeah, and that's what I thought. I don't know. Is, does he have a bunch of stuff coming up besides um, Thor? Because I don't think they've confirmed another Star Trek movie yet. Yeah. So in 2016, he had Star Trek Beyond and Pete's Dragon. In pre-production right now, he has a movie called Entry Level, and then he has four projects in post-production thor a movie called hangman something a movie called stoic and another one called bent um, all right so if they're in post-production presumably he's done shooting right so that could free up his schedule potentially yeah he just has this one that's in pre-production so okay yeah yeah i think i i, the... I mean as as from fan perspective i would love to see him come back for it yeah, I think that'd be a big win. It gives some legitimacy to the show, and hopefully, get it picked up somewhere. Yeah, and 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 the thing is, I that's why I think it going to something like AMC or FX, maybe or one of the premium channels. They have gotten really good at recognizing how to do, like the eight to fourteen episode season arcs. They're not going to try to put it on network TV and make it like 24 episodes of 42 minutes a piece with commercials. You know, they're going to make something tight and succinct and really good. And, you know, they'll give it a good budget, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes on that one and see where see where Mega City one ends up. Um. All right. So we'll move on to 
my last little bit of news, and then we got a couple trailers to talk about. Ooh, trailers, okay. Um, so a uh, there's been a lot of like TV announcements coming, renewals, cancellations, a couple previews for next season as far as TV networks, what they're what they're putting out there. ABC announced that they have renewed Agents of Shield for a fifth season, and Once Upon a Time for a seventh season. Okay. Now, fans of those shows are probably really excited. However, I think there's some fine print in here that needs to be discussed because I'm a little skeptical now. Okay. Uh, both of these shows are being moved to Friday night. The ABC chief, what the hell is this guy's name? Channing Dungy. Uh, has said that his plan is to turn Friday into a destination for fantasy and science fiction fans. So this, you know, may very well be like the PR answer that everybody likes to hear, but anyone that watches TV on a regular basis mm-hmm. knows that shows don't likely survive on Friday nights. Right. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. has made a move to a later time slot this season. They were at 9 o'clock. They are now at 10 o'clock on Tuesday nights, which is their normal slot. Um the the change in time I think seemed to work well at first. I think the the ratings have struggled, I think, for that show. Not that I have the numbers, but right. they've either they've either stayed consistent or they've dipped a little bit, and that seems to be the problem with the show. Uh Once Upon a Time may be coming back for another season, but it's losing five of its main cast members. <laughs> uh Jennifer Morrison, who plays Emma Swan, is gone. Uh she was the first one to go, and then after that we got announcements that Jennifer Goodwin, who plays Snow White, Josh Dallas, who plays Prince Charming, Emily DeRaven, who plays Belle, and Jared Gilmore, who plays Henry Mills. All those guys are gone. So, yay, we're getting more seasons, but I, I don't know. Um, do you watch either, either, either of these shows? Uh, I do not. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I had meant to start watching at some point for the last five years <laughs> four four years i i guess and it just kept going on the back burner um no actually sarah would be the perfect one to talk to about uh once upon a time she started it i want to say like the winter of 2016 i think like it was in between seasons and she devoured like the first five seasons or whatever was out at that point <laughs> on netflix like blew through them and then she's been keeping up since. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. So, so I don't know where the show left off. Um, if I don't know if, right. if their season has concluded already for this year. Um, I don't know where it has or where it is going to leave off. And it makes sense already for those characters to be exiting the narrative. No idea. But it could also, yeah, I guess be weird that like you're, I mean, from what I've watched with her at times. Like, a lot of those people, especially the Snow White and Prince Charming character, they're, like, the main characters. Yeah, that's sort of the impression I got. Like, again, I don't I don't watch Once Upon a Time. I do watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Once Upon a Time, I'm going in blind. Sure. It just caught my attention that they're moving the time slot to, to Friday, Friday, and right. half the cast is moving. Yeah. So, it, I don't know. It, it strikes me as, like, we don't have confidence in these shows anymore. Let's dump them on Friday and make room for stuff that we think we have confidence in. Sure. And that, those are both the same network? Yes, ABC. Um, I, I mean, the easy retort to the executive who said, like, we're going to make Friday night our fantasy night for, you know, those genre lovers. I mean, the easy retort is... Okay, so do you think it's still 1983 and people who are interested in that stuff 
have nothing else to do on a Friday night but sit home and watch right. TV like they did the first four nights of the week. Yeah. The only I thing that I, I think that that, that that it might have going for it is because I think TV ratings work on, like, live, and then they factor in, like, live plus three days. Okay. Don't they, I think? Uh, You mean, like, in, like in terms of trying to track, like, DVR watches right. and stuff? Okay. So if you record it and you watch it within three days of when it aired, still technically that counts toward ratings somehow? Sure. So if you record it Friday night and you watch it over that weekend, that still could help the show. Right. Granted, they get the most ratings, or it's better for the show to watch it live when it is on Friday night. Um, so, but so the, you know the live ratings might struggle, but hopefully, if they factor in the you know the three plus days, it'll it'll boost them up a little bit more, so it won't look as bad, at least enough to keep the shows around. Because I think Agents of Shield is fucking fantastic. I think this past season that they just wrapped up earlier this week was fucking great. Okay. One of one of their strongest ones that they've done, um, and I don't know, like it, that one left on a cliffhanger. So I f- think I have an idea where they might be going this next season, and it might try to coincide with something that's going to happen with Infinity War. Oh, really? With possibly some of that stuff, I don't know. We'll have to. I mean, the speculation could be out there, but it definitely seems like it could be setting the season up to to coincide with what is coming in the larger MCU, which could be a first because they haven't really acknowledged too much stuff recently. There's been a lot like the first season had different sections of crossover. There was one main event that happened in the MCU that definitely filtered into agents of shield. And since then the crossover has been few and far between. It's something that I've really wanted to see happen a little bit more. I don't know if it's still political between TV division and film division at Marvel, but yeah, I'm hoping what they set up is going to sort of cross over with the, with the movies again, because that would be really fucking cool. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, as far as like the Friday night time slot, anything that I know that I have liked that has made its way to Friday never lasts. Oh, no. Especially genre shows. So I don't know what the network thinks they're doing to make room or make this better, but it it's, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. My prediction is that the, it's going to be bad. The The hope that... I have is that they're expecting it to be bad. And as long as it doesn't go too bad, the shows will stick around. If it just shows, if it dips a little bit and they are, it stays manageable, maybe they'll, they'll keep them on for Friday nights, but Uh, I'm really scared. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a good omen. I mean, think of, I mean, if you even can think of what program, it was created and like sustained had sustained life on a Friday night primetime time slot, like between like eight and 10 o'clock or Tate like eight and 11. The only thing that comes to mind is from my childhood in the TGIF block. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and the only reason that I think that worked was it was for families with small kids who weren't going anywhere anyway. And it provided right. a means of entertainment and distraction for the night so that in a lot of cases, perhaps, you know, mom and dad worked Monday through Friday, you ease into the weekend easily. Or if you weren't lucky enough to have a traditional nine to five Monday through Friday schedule, you didn't have to worry about, you know, distracting the kids for the evening. And you had, you know, step by step and family matters, you know, helping you out there. But in terms of like primetime stuff, 
I don't I don't know anything. But at the I mean, I, I'll easily admit, like, I do not watch USA programming and CBS programming to know, to, you know, TBS. Like, I don't know what the frick they put on Friday nights. Yeah. So maybe there is certain maybe there are certain things that have been able to live there but thinking of the demographic of the people who are the ones sustaining it are they also going to be interested in watching agents of shield and once upon a time past like one half season or one season to to give it continued life past one more year i'm guessing no yeah yeah the few genre shows that I can think of that were on Friday nights. I don't remember because I never watched it when it was on. I don't remember when Firefly was, but I know Fox killed Firefly wherever they put it. I'm assuming it was on Friday night. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it could have been. And then they had Fringe after Firefly, but they let Fringe last on Friday for a season or two until it until they just let it sort of run its course. So that was one that lasted but then immediately after that, some of the guys behind Fringe made Almost Human, which they stuck on Friday night, and they killed Almost Human, which was the Carl Urban-led TV show. Oh, really? Sci-fi show, which I fucking love that show. I'm really st- – I'm st- I bring it up all the time every time I talk <laughs> about it. I'm still fucking pissed they canceled that show because it was great. Um, Maybe in like two or three years, that will be like the new Firefly where like tons of people will have discovered it and maybe like... Oh, I hope so. Like two or three years after that. So like five years from now, you'll get a uh, an Almost Humans movie? That I mean, that was kind of like Blade Runner on television. Oh, really? It had a, it had a sense... Of, it wasn't as dark as Blade Runner, yeah. but it was about like androids and humans working together and hmm. that kind of, It was like Carl Urban was a cop. I think, if I remember right, I think he had some, like, cybernetic implants who was partnered with an android. And for whatever reason, just doesn't like androids. So it was the two of them having to solve crimes together and figure it out. It was really fucking great. Okay. Um, it almost sounds like a comedy. Like, he's a regular detective. He's a futuristic <laughs> I mean, it android. They don't get along. But now they're yeah, partners. They, they could have played that card, I guess, if they wanted to. They, you know, it's however you want to spin it. But they took the serious approach, and I thought it was really great. Um, the only other one I can think, and those were all on Fox. The only other one I can think of is on NBC, which is Grimm. Pretty sure Grimm lasted on Friday nights for three or four seasons. I don't remember if it started on Friday, but it definitely ended up on Friday. And NBC kept that show around. I, I don't know how many seasons it lasted, but I think it was five or more. Is it? So is it? Is it still on or is it gone? I think it's done. I think. I watched a little bit of the first season, and then I kind of fell off, and then it just kind of kept going, and I think I expected it to can- get canceled at some time so I could catch up, and then it just kept going, and now it feels like it's too much of a burden to go back and watch, so I never got around to it. Right, right. But, I mean, it might be just based on the network. Maybe ABC is a little bit more lenient with shows like this. Fox apparently hates genre shows, so <laughs> uh, I don't know. Did I... I'd, I'd feel a lot less confident if it was on Fox. Yeah. Did I... Also, I mean, I didn't watch it either, but did I just hear that, um, uh, what was it? Sleepy Hollow got canceled too? Yeah. That one, that show, as much as I like that show and I watched it, it sort of wrapped up where they, where they left it. I think they were sort of expecting to get canceled. Um, but it seemed like every season that show had different showrunner, which is not good. And that is another, that's another example of a Fox show that made its way to Friday. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, I did not know that at all. I just happened to hear about it. 
that that's a nice coincidence. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good example too. That was another the first season of that show is really fucking good. And then the second season starts to fall off and then at somewhere they start trying to change direction of where they want to go with the show, how they tell the stories. The show winner changes didn't help. Studio involvement was all over the place. Everything you read about behind the scenes of that show, none of it is good. <laughs> I'm surprised it lasted as long as it did, but and some of those people that are in that show are really fucking good. The guy that plays Ichabod Crane, I think, was fucking fantastic. So, yeah, I th- if anybody wanted to watch Sleepy Hollow, definitely check out the first season. First season's great. After that, watch at your own risk. But, yeah, that's another one that, that got canceled, I think, before it really could. I mean, it lasted four seasons, yeah. but it could definitely could have been better had it had the support it needed and maybe given a better time slot. So that was an open invitation from your your host to watch binge the first season of Sleepy Hollow and then come out and fanboy about it with Brian. Yeah, please, someone talk about it with me because I really love that show. Maybe Bradley will take that up because last last time you're like watch Westworld. He's like okay, and then you guys recorded. Yeah, an episode. well, I think <laughs> I think that was something he at least was sort of waiting to watch anyway, and they just needed that extra little push. <laughs> I don't know if Sleepy Hell is on his radar that he'll just be like, yeah, okay, I got this. It might be on Netflix. I don't know. I'll have to check. I think at one point it was. Um, so, yeah, anything else to add for for these? I'm Again, just my sort of perspective is I'm, I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm really sad if it gets canceled. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure what I read was because Inhumans premieres in September. Okay. So, Inhumans, I think, is getting the same time slot that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. gets, which is going to be Friday night. They're going to put them and then both mid-se- on Friday night, like, back-to-back? Well, no, because uh, Inhumans last until mid-season, it ends, and then S.H.I.E.L.D. comes in mid-season and goes till the end of the end of the year. Oh, okay, I get it. So, you know, I don't... I don't know. I think I felt like Tuesday was working well for Agents of Shield. I don't know if they just felt like they had more competition on Tuesday nights. I don't know what it was up against at ten o'clock on a Tuesday, but I thought that time slot worked really well for them. Friday night, I'm not as confident about, so I'm scared. Well, it'll also be interesting. Part of the understanding will be to see what they put in that slot, meaning they wanted to make room for something else that they thought would be more promising. Um, so to see what they select when the time comes will be interesting. Yeah, that's one thing I didn't research is I think a lot of networks were putting up their full schedules for the fall. I was just catching headlines of where certain things were being shuffled to, but I didn't look at the full schedule of the week to see when things are airing. Yeah. So they might already have that up there, what's playing Tuesday nights in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. slot. I just haven't looked at it yet. It's probably just going to make me angry, whatever it is. <laughs> Um, all right, so we got a couple trailers to talk about. Two TV shows, one movie. Uh, so we're going to get started with our first TV show trailer. Okay. Which is one that I think, at least I have sort of been anxiously awaiting, because I think we, we've talked about this show in the past, some of the past episodes, to see how it was going to turn out, uh-huh. which is for Star Trek Discovery. Okay. And this is the show, normally when we talk about it, it's all because of how you're going to have to watch this show, which is... It will be headlining CBS's paid digital service, CBS All Access. So the pilot, I believe, is set to premiere on regular CBS station before moving to CBS All Access, which is where you have to go to watch the rest of the season. Um, but this, 
this was another show I think that had sort of a troubled development cycle. Um, Brian Fuller, who is the showrunner of like Pushing Daisies, and I think right now he's running American Gods too. For I think that's might be on FX or wherever that ended up. Um, but he was the original showrunner for Discovery until he left to focus on American Gods, wherever that is showing. Um, it seemed like CBS was trying to push the show out. Fuller couldn't commit to it because he had a prior commitment to American Gods, so he had to pick one, and he went with American Gods and left Discovery there. Um, but I guess he had already written the first two episodes of the show and sort of planned out the first season's arc for the for the show. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anywhere to tell if his scripts for the first two episodes and his story arc are still going to be used, or if they decided to scrap that and start over. Um, I I don't I don't know how to tell that, but. So we'll have to see, I guess, if, if anybody actually pays for this CBS service and watches the entire season, how it all turns out. It might be one of those things we'll have to go back and look at after the season is completed. But after watching the trailer, what do you think uh, of the show? Do you think it looks decent? Um, I mean, it's evident that they definitely spent some money on this. Um, the special effects and the look of it are, are really sleek, um, so they didn't skimp on it. Uh, a discussion we had before the show, before we started, was I was trying to understand where this fit with everything. Because one of the first things that they try to convey to you at uh, at the beginning of this preview is that it's you know several years before Captain Kirk and Spock. And so I thought, okay, so is this like the first Star Trek prequel uh, kind of thing that has been tried, and you informed me that your impression was that no, because some of the other incarnations were either parallel to the Captain Kirk, Spock era, or some of them already were somewhat prequel in the timeline. I mean, th- then so for me, like other than the look of the show, since I'm not already really a Trekkie. The fact that they're telling me, oh, it takes place before that thing that you might have the most recognition of, it doesn't really pull me in. Because I'm like, well, okay, so there's four other versions of this show that also take place before or at the same time as the only other thing I know. So I'll not that I'll be just as lost, but like this doesn't allow me to start clean. Well, I mean... I guess it should kind of let you start clean, right? Because it, like you'd almost, it's almost wiping the slate of like here's just a bunch of new people. You're not beholden to any type of continuity before or after, really. At least that's the sense I'm getting from the trailer. Almost like a, it's it's like a reboot, but it's still in continuity, I guess. I yeah, I suppose I I think one of the things holding a lot of people back from Star Trek is it's so massive. There, there's yeah, so I mean, I think the, the you know, if they're smart, they would put little Easter eggs in there for people that have, are familiar with the entire Trek universe right? and where this fits in the timeline where you can see the hints before or after whatever it takes place. But I think the main story and the characters and everything will just be new to people to hopefully allow them to jump in and not feel like they're missing 10 years, 20 years of history with these characters. Because the trailer, like you said, the trailer opens with 10 years before Kirk and Spock. So it's before the original series. But I think, sort of what we were talking about, I think the Enterprise series is is way before the 
original, original series. So I think Enterprise still comes first, and then maybe this show, Discovery, and then original series, Next Generation, uh, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager would sort of be your timeline. Okay. I, if I'm wrong, some some trekker out there has to correct me because I don't I don't know for sure. Uh, I think that's that's my thing is if 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 one of your selling points is this is a prequel of sorts. Um, maybe for established Trekkies, they're understanding. Okay, well, this is only ten years before Captain Kirk, whereas some of the other ones might have been fifty years or a hundred years before. I don't know. Um, right. You know, th- they're just establishing where this fits in in the timeline, perhaps. Um, uh, like I said, other than how the show looks, if there's a if there's all these other options of Star Trek that already exist out there from the past, to me that it feels like, well, why don't I just pick up one of those? Like, why this one? Why should I care about this one then? Well, especially because this one you're gonna have to pay for. True. Like, a lot of the other ones, at least right now, are all available on Netflix. What I'm curious to see is once this show kicks off and it's only available on CBS All Access, if they pull that stuff from Netflix and say, oh, you want past seasons of Star Trek? you got to pay for CBS All Access. Uh, right, which is very possible, and, I mean, honestly, it might be stupid of them not to do that. Yeah, yeah, because if you want your Star Trek fix, you just go to Netflix, which you're already paying for. Right. Because I'm, I'm still not sure if this show is going to be enough to pull people in to pay for a service. Because I don't know anything else that this service offers besides specifically Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. So they're either doing really terrible promotion for the service that they want people to pay for, or this is all they have right now. Yeah, and I guess it's it's hard to tell that at the moment. Um, I mean, I guess in terms of, like, does it does it seem like it, it was interesting? Yes. Um, but again, I, I, I don't know if it would be enough to pull me in knowing that there's, you know, eight other Star Trek options to pull from. If I was an established fan, I'm sure it looks really, really great. Um, but yeah. Well, unless they want that, to try it the other way, somewhere for you to start. And then if you like this show, then you spin off into wanting to check out the older shows. I'm, Instead of trying to feel like you got to go vice versa, yeah, I, I, I'm potentially. I guess for 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 a new viewer, I, I I don't see anything different in these that I haven't been exposed to by pieces of all those other Star Trek incarnations over the years. Okay, that, yeah, that says to me like, oh, this might be the one that's the right flavor for me. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's let's jump in the pool and see what this is all about. I wasn't left with that. I mean, it's, it, it looks like they made something really cool. I'm sure that like actual fans will enjoy it. Um, but I don't know what the effect is really going to be. Yeah, I don't know if they're really targeting people that aren't Star Trek fans. I feel like you know, since again, you haven't really checked out too many of the, of the other shows. How I mean, how much Star Trek have you been exposed to? Just the movies, the most recent movies, or the old movies, or um, all 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 three of the new movies, and in terms of the old movies, I'm up through, uh, I want to say whatever the first one was that had both Captain Kirk and Picard in it, might have been Generations, Generations. yeah, where I think like 
spoilers, doesn't Kirk die in the first like ten minutes or something? Uh, yes, and then he, well, he doesn't die. He gets transported into an interdimensional ribbon. Of course, he does. Uh, you're right. I forgot and then, about and that. then, and then he dies at the end. And then he dies at the end. That's it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think I saw Generation. So I think the next one is either first contact. First, it's first contact. I think I have first contact and resurrection left from from okay. the prior series. Um. I think I've watched maybe three episodes of any of the other series combined in my life. Um, it was just a, from 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 a series perspective, a TV series perspective. It was nothing. It was it was never anything that could hold my attention. For me, it always worked better in film, where you just had these contained one shot stories, where you had continuing characters from one movie to another. But again, you didn't have like 24 hour long episodes every year, year in and year out of this Right, stuff. right. Okay. Yeah, just, you know, so again, sort of like from your, from your passing knowledge, I guess. Um, I don't, I don't know if you're the, if it's, you know, it's hard to tell. I don't, I wouldn't think that you're the, you're the person they're marketing to, sure. but at the same time, if you're not, I don't know what the point of the show is then. Cause I don't think the whole problem with them not making a, a Star Trek show before this is that they, the fans like the, the core Star Trek fans that are out there don't seem to be seeing the movies. So the movies are struggling to make money. They're not attracting again, non fans, quote unquote, normal people to see these Star Trek movies when they make them. So I don't know where they expect these people to come from when they put this thing on television or at this point on a digital service right behind another paywall. I yeah. just feel like they're really sectioning off who this is for, and I'm not sure that they're going to get enough people to see it that way. I mean, potentially, I mean, like I said, from 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 how how the effects look on the show, it could be leaps and bounds from the last iteration or two that they had. On, oh yeah, the on budget's TV. there, you know, and, and and maybe there's things that they can do with it that would wow other people. You know, either existing fans or or new fans enough uh, to make it look good enough that it it would bring them in to pay attention to the other stuff. I mean, it's it's possible. Um, I just know with my available time and money, it's not going to be anywhere anywhere on my priority list at all. Yeah, like I I would be interested to watch this if it was on regular CBS. Okay. The fact that it's on their, you know, digital service that they're going to require you to pay a monthly subscription for, I'm I like Star Trek. I'm not that big of a Star Trek fan that I feel like I need to pay for the service just to watch this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I I I mean, I know people that are Star Trek fans, so if they come back and say that this is, show is really fucking fantastic and I should definitely check it out, I might look into it a little bit more. Sure. But just from the trailer, there's not enough there that really hooks me to make me want to watch the show. And if the pilot goes on to regular CBS network, I'll definitely at least check out the pilot. And if that's the way they're going, that pilot better hook me. If that pilot does not hook me, and and even everybody else that watches that show, if, if they watch the pilot and the pilot doesn't hook you to want to pay for more episodes, then they've already failed. True. So we'll have to wait and see, I guess, come the fall, uh, how that, how that plays out. And I'm, Again, I'm really kind of curious what's all offered with the CBS All Access thing, so I'm going to try to keep my eye out if they ever do some sort of announcements or, you know, price point or 
what else is offered there besides Star Trek because I still don't even know. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's move on to another geek-centric trailer for television, uh, which is the team-up for Fox and Marvel. They're going to team for an X-Men-related TV show called The Gifted. Uh, we've one. talked about the show. Yeah, we've talked about the show, I think, on the past. We were all sort of wondering how it was going to turn out, uh, with the premise being there's some human parents with their mutant kids on the run from the government. Wasn't too much to go on for a premise. Uh, the trailer finally gave us a look and a feel for what it would be like. Um, so just kind of, what do you think, I guess, after watching the trailer? Uh, I'd say my first impression of the show is I'd be worried about the story arc that they are setting down because it seems to lead to a logical conclusion and I don't know where they would easily go. After What's that, the logical conclusion you're getting from there? Um, I mean, it seems like, okay, the idea is that, in a way, that there's sort of, like, runaway mutant teenagers. Or that they're kind of on their own to some degree, and there's a family involved who, you know, the dad is in, like, it seems to be like a mutant law enforcement to some degree. It's just, yeah. If that's where you're starting... Um, as your premise, like that, that's not necessarily a particular season arc. That's your premise. Um, it's going to end up right where either like the kids go off on their own permanently. So then you don't have that, um, uh, runaway aspect anymore. They're not fugitives anymore. Um, I don't know, when you're setting something up where somebody is trying to be tracked down or trying to stay hidden, you can only do that for so long. Where, like, okay, either True. either yeah. they're going to be found or the people looking for them aren't going to care to look for them anymore. Um, but it, I'd, I'd say in, in terms of the tone of, of what they're setting up, I think it could be interesting. Um, I like the almost Carrie-esque uh, high school dance scene uh, yeah, that, yeah. that was in there. Uh, definitely sound, felt like almost like a homage to Carrie in some way. Um, it seems like it, it has potential. And, I mean, they definitely made a point, like, in, in case you weren't getting it halfway through the preview, they definitely made a point to name drop, you know, the X-Men and the Brotherhood so you knew exactly what this was referring to. And I'm not going to lie, the first time I watched that trailer and they name-dropped the X-Men and the Brotherhood, I got goosebumps. Sure. Sure. So it had the intended effect, for me anyway. Right. And, I mean, on the one hand, they want to make sure that the viewer knows that this is not just something trying to jump on the bandwagon and take advantage of the popularity of this stuff, that it is tied to that. Um, but it can also suffer a little bit once people get into the show, if they think that there's going to be a much stronger connection to those things that they already know than there actually are. Right. You're not going to see Wolverine in the show or anybody from the movies. Right. Um, so I, I, it has potential. I mean, I was surprised at how much you seemed to like Legion. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Legion kind of surprised me to be honest. Yeah. I, I didn't, I don't, I don't, I don't know why I, I don't, 
network TV to me does not seem to be it it seems to be the least ideal medium and platform for a lot of this adapted source material like m- movies or like long form Netflix or premium channel stuff like that that's a good place where you can make things in the way that you don't have to worry about framing things around commercial breaks and you don't have to worry about language sometimes or violence or like not that you need it but if you want to put it in you don't have to worry about it right um so like network tv doesn't really feel like the best place at all it doesn't seem like a good place for a lot of this stuff um but given that as you said you were very surprised and impressed with legion um to the extent that you were you know highly recommending it to the rest of us so this definitely could end up going down the same road yeah i definitely don't think this is going to be legion like legion is so unique in the way that they tell the story over the seven or eight episodes whatever that was um and yeah just the the visual style of everything of that show is something i i had never really seen before and this the gifted this trailer is nothing like legion i mean it's it's x men okay it probably won't even tie over to legion i think they're keeping those pretty much separate right. for, that i'd be that would be a guess but this one just feels a lot more traditional television to me yeah you know for better or for worse um, I will say that the trailer, I think, looked more interesting than I expected it to. Agreed. Um, right. But again, like, you know, the, the pilot episodes are normally always good. It's what do they do after the pilot that is going to keep you invested in the show. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm definitely going to check it out and see how it goes. And I I love Amy Eckert, so mm-hmm. I have to check her out and see what she's doing in there. I don't I didn't recognize too many other people. I think most of the cast is people I'm unfamiliar with besides her. Yeah, I mean, as I was watching it, like, it felt like a face or two looked familiar, but not enough to be like, oh, really, they're in this. Did you notice any, like, X-Men characters that you recognize in there? Or just was it just all, like, kids with powers to you? Yeah, and that, that's the thing that, exactly, it just felt like kids with powers, and that's the thing that i think this suffers from potentially because if they can't if, if if they can't really use anybody that recognizably stands out already um like i i, I see that uh like the character blink is part of the cast and i was yeah i was gonna bring I that up i think that's blink was used in the future scenes of days of future past right she's she's the portal giver right right okay and oh i do recognize that chick that's jamie chung um i do know her she was in sucker punch hangover oh okay okay yeah yeah i feel like i know her oh office christmas party that's where i've seen her recently okay um um i think the only other one that i noticed that i i think that's who it is is polaris she was using like the green energy okay type thing um and if i remember my my x-men comic history bradley can correct me later if uh-huh. i'm wrong um i think polaris is one of magneto's kids okay i could believe it so 
I don't know if that's something they will acknowledge or fit somewhere in continuity or if they'll just never talk about her parents. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I think – because I think she has some sort of magnetic powers like, like him. Okay. Because um, I think there's a real quick shot of her, like, stopping bullets with her power, which obviously is something Magneto has done before. Sure. So. So I don't know if it, if you're just going to get those two that are sort of like in the peripheral of the X-Men universe that you've you've sort of seen or heard about before or if if that's the characters they'll be pulling or if we'll get any mainstream X-Men characters and I you know I'm kind of curious where it if they're going to even acknowledge if it fits somewhere inside the really convoluted X-Men continuity yeah that's been established in the movies or if it's just going to be its own thing kind of like Legion right uh, well, to digress for half a second, but to potentially pull in other viewers, potential viewers to the show, uh, Jamie Chung, who is playing Blink, she also played Milan on many episodes of Once Upon a Time. Oh, gotcha. So okay. They liked her as Milan on that show. Maybe they will like her on this as well. Um, there you go. But, uh, yeah, I, I, that's, I think even with like the Marvel moniker at the beginning, and whatnot it it just it's it's gonna run the risk of just it it is gonna run the risk of just looking like generic kids with special powers doing things yeah it doesn't matter how many times they say mutants or or x-men um like one of the things that i think for instance like the harry potter films really suffered from was the adaptation of the portrayal of magic. And what I mean by that was a lot of the writing in the books was dedicated to talking about the spells and learning your thought process behind getting that spell to work and your body movement and the knowledge that you needed to have to get like, to pull it off, all these other things. It was very deliberate. There was almost a, quote, science to learning it. But in the movies, okay. in the movies, it's in many cases just flourish a wand. There's a flash of a colored and light, and in most cases, you can't even tell the effect that it has on somebody. It just seems like it displaces them in the room, and maybe they fell on the ground hard. Yeah, it's basically it. point and shoot. Yeah, and that's to a lot of extent like what these cutscenes in this trailer look like kid moves his hands a thing happens over there and it looks like that it was because he made it happen but it just looks like special powered kids not x-men yeah. mutants you know so that's something they're gonna have to overcome that's a challenge doesn't mean it's gonna be bad doesn't mean it's gonna fail um just because of that but that's that is a challenge they're going to have to deal with because this is something that could very easily be morphed into an x-men television show you start with this premise, and the goal is get these mutant kids to the X-Men. Sure. And then once they're there, they start training, they start learning, they become part of the team, and then you have an X-Men TV show. Yeah, I could see But that. you're right. If it's just if it's just run away from the government for five seasons, that's going to get stale. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, so far, that seems, like I said, that it, the trailer makes it look like that is the premise of the show. It's not just the potential first arc of the show. It's like, right. that's what the show's about. And that's what, yeah, that's where I'm, I'm a little skeptical as far as staying power and trying to keep things interesting. But as far as a pilot, like, the pilot looks good. I'm definitely going to check out the sure. pilot. 
See if it hooks me. See, maybe I'll give it a first season pass like I did with some shows. If it turns out like Gotham, Gotham, I'm, I'm fucking done. <laughs> I gave Gotham that first season pass, and after that first season, I never went back. I, I still can't stand that show. It's funny. It seems like like Gotham has become your barometer. Like that, that yeah. is the way that you have established to judge all of these things by. <laughs> And I, you know, even Romano, I think Romano was watching it for a while, and I think he gave up on the show, too. Um, I have somebody I work with who updates me on the show after watching it every couple weeks or something like that. So I have a a sense of what's going on. None of it sounds good. (laughs) So, and the guy at work, shout out to Ron, if you're listening. Um, But he... Every time he comes and talks to me, he'll start telling me about it. And he's like, Brian, I know. I'm sorry. I, I know you want me to stop watching because I know it's terrible. I'll admit it's terrible, but I can't stop watching it. <laughs> does he does, So I think does he have a commitment problem? I, I don't know if it's just like – well, he wa- he does watch some of the better stuff too. He watches like Flash and Arrow and stuff sure. like that too. So he keeps up on the good stuff. Crazy. But for whatever reason, he just uh, – yeah, I think he's he's so far invested into Gotham that he just is just going to stick it out at this point. So, more power to him, because I couldn't do it. Uh, Alright, last one we got. Um, This is for... We got a movie trailer. Uh, So, the last one we'll talk about is for Blade Runner 2049. We got a new trailer for that that hit last week. Obviously, this is the sequel to Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Uh, Scott is back as a producer. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 will be directed by... I'm going to butcher this guy's name... Dennis Villanueva? Is that how you say his name? Sure, that's as close as we're going to get. All right, good enough. Uh, It's the same guy that directed Sicario, Prisoners, and my favorite movie of last year, Arrival. Um, So this is the first full trailer we get for the movie. There's some very vague plot points. I still don't know what the hell's going on, which is good. Um, But we'll throw it over to Josh. What do you think of the trailer? Uh, well, I, admittedly, I'd only seen the first Blade Runner once, I think when I was 19 or 20, and I was, I think, a little unimpressed by the reputation that I think it had in the sort of film reputation community, like the history of it, <laughs> you know I mean, um, I mean, part of me wishes like this, maybe this director and this creative team could go back and just remake the first one. <laughs> Uh, it, I, I think the, the thing that plagued the first one for me was, it was, it was the color palette. It was, it was just so dark all the time. You could barely see any detail of anything. So like one, one scene looked like the next looked like the next. You barely, like it, it almost didn't matter where the scene was taking place. Um, this looks really incredible. It almost like, it definitely has certain stylistic elements or color elements that make like remind me of Tron. Uh yeah, I could see um, that. I will say one thing that's interesting from from this trailer is uh having seen this uh live action version of Ghost in the Shell recently, um the idea of like these massive sort of hologram advertisements kind of existing like in front of a building or on the street that existed in the exact same way in Ghost in the Shell. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was coincidence or just two different creative teams having the same idea about 
crap in the future possibly or not but um i mean th th this looks like it, it feels like there's more action in this trailer than i really remember from the whole first movie yeah there's only and i'm sort of on the same page as you i i've only seen the original blade runner once i came at it the first time i saw it was probably maybe a year or two ago um and again, that was after all the hype is built up as like being one of the best sci-fi movies ever. And I left feeling a little underwhelmed from it. Like, visually, it was something I haven't seen before. I see what you're saying about the really dark tones and palettes and stuff like that. And I think the pacing of it just had a really hard time keeping my interest. It just felt really slow. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's only like two maybe action sequences that I can remember from there. One at the end, and then one somewhere near the end. So the first whole half of the movie is just kind of bland to me. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping, like, I mean, the trailer for this one too, I think looks visually stunning. It does seem a little bit brighter. Some of the environments look, you know, they're not all that dark. Um, but if it sort of keeps that slow pace that the first one did, I'm kind of hoping it didn't. But if that's the case, then all the gun shooting and action we see in the trailer could be it. Like that, that could be all we see. Uh, that that is true. Um, I I tend to think that most of the time that's not the case with the way they cut these. Yeah, I'm hoping. Yeah, but um, I I I think Ryan Gosling also has a way to. I think he has a unique screen presence. Okay. And he has the ability to command the screen in in certain ways. It just it just uh, I, there there's there's different ways that he can move through a frame and the way that he delivers dialogue um that whatever the core of the story is um, the way that that his particular role is involved, it'll even if the pace is a little slower again, like the first one, etc. Um, I don't think it's going to lose my interest as much as as the first one did. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm 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 hoping that as well. I think, yeah, because just even just the mood of the trailer, I think, just feels really cool. It does. Like I, I'd be interested. Uh, to go back out, I think I'll do this when we're done recording tonight. Like, I'm gonna go back and watch like the old previews or trailers or anything that was released for the original Blade Runner. Oh, okay. Know, to see, you know, how were they trying to sell it? How? Uh, what were what, what were the 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 scenes and what were the ideas that they were trying to put forward? You know, in that to convey to people what the story was and why it. You know, why it should be compelling and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually... I, I just wanted to check again. I looked at the, the list I made for my favorite movies of last yeah. year. So Blade Runner 2049 stars Ryan Gosling, who was an actor in my third favorite movie from last year, The Nice Guys. Oh, yeah. And it's directed by the movie... They're the director that directed my favorite movie of last year, Arrival. So I think this one's got a lot going for it. Not to mention Harrison Ford. Yeah, and I I mean I can't necessarily tell. I I get the feeling there's a chance 
like it's 50 50 that he's actually going to play a bigger role in the movie than it might seem because like the the way the first trailer that they released a couple of weeks ago it was like just gosling and harrison ford like meeting in that like abandoned hotel or whatever the frick it is and it's yeah. like they are like the core of the story this one seems very much like this is almost like jared leto and ryan gosling's story which leto looks creepy as fucking <laughs> it does it looks really cool but we thought it was creepy as the joker man they took a step up in this one yeah i mean and it very well could be and you know you might only get a couple core scenes with harrison ford you know pr- providing some kind of glue between his story and and this timeline that we now caught up with and that might only be the case but um i, I still think it's going to be pretty sweet no matter what yeah um yeah i mean th- you said it already like when we introduced this segment for this like the director's resume the last couple of years like all of those movies are solid as all hell i mean there's like nothing wrong with those films they're really really all well done yeah yeah i think they got a good one to to come at this with a good creative vision it seems like because those a lot of that stuff that they're walking around in it looks practical stuff yeah. like really huge practical sets which is impressive definitely and like certain things um like i did not realize as i was watching this one i didn't realize that dave batista is in this and so oh that's so right was, uh, yeah, yeah. So was robin wright yeah because that was what we well we talked about batista i think the last time we got together because of his quotes oh, with spider-man yeah, yeah. coming back to marvel and all that stuff and how i think one of the other headlines i remember reading at that point too was how he had a hand in saying that the this blade runner is like so much better than the original Blade Runner. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're going to make that a meme. Just, like, say anything you want and, like, hashtag Batista says. Like, that's <laughs> how you lend credibility and just, like, self-defining uh, truthfulness to a particular thing. That's how you make it real, undisputably. Just, but, but, Batista said it. There's there's no reason to fact check it. Batista said yeah. so. Oh, hey, my boy DeSmolchin is in Blade Runner. Oh, there you go. Nice. And so is Lenny James from uh, Walking Dead. He plays Morgan. Yeah, that means... Nothing to I, you. Um, yeah. Walking, yeah. Well, he's one of the he's he's one of the main ones. Walking Dead fans got that immediately. Fair but, enough. Um, yeah, this actually has a really more wide cast than I originally thought. I... I I really just thought that your main people were going to be Gosling and, and Harrison Ford. I actually, I, I think I knew, but I completely forgot that Jared Leto was in it at all. Yeah, I did too, until he has that one shot in the trailer when he's talking to that, I'm guessing, android robot thing that, like, gets made. Sure. Like that, yeah, that, that that's when he, oh, he just seems so creepy. He's, like, no emotion, just real monotone and, like, deadpan and the eyes, I think the eyes do it for me too. Yeah, that kind of like glossed over, yeah. I- I- irisless, almost blind look. Not, yeah, I guess kind of blind looking, but it's almost like gray. Yeah, yeah, like a slate gray over. Yeah, so they did. They did a good job with a him. Good choice. Yeah, this one. This one looks pretty cool. I don't think it. It didn't make like my top ten, but it definitely went on my movie calendar for the year. Um, 
mainly on the back of Ryan Gosling pairing with that director. Yeah. I think, what was the release date? I think it's October. October? 6th, yeah. Yeah. So that's not even like summer blockbuster month, so that might not have too much competition in October. And No, that was... Might actually surprise some Yeah, people. that was a smart move because September looks to be not very packed. Uh, Kingsman is in there. I think Kingsman... In September? Yeah, Kingsman is the 22nd, I think, so it's about two weeks before... Um, in October, like Thor, Thor doesn't hit until November, and I don't know if there's any other. Not, I mean, not that there's like a huge crossover, but there's also not, um, like a big Disney animated movie or something else around that time that could divert other people's entertainment dollars for like their kids right. or something. Um, that's probably a really smart time slot for them to pick for that time of year. Yeah, I, you know, I keep I know we've talked about it in the past on shows too, but there to me there's no reason why every movie that a studio thinks is going to make money needs to be between May, June, July and August. If you if you see a window where there's not too much competition somewhere, regardless of when it is during the course of a year, just throw your movie in there. Yeah. Cuz you know, like I we you know, we talked about this last the last time we talked too is some of these movies are getting placed so close together that they don't even have a chance to breathe. And studios are getting to the point where they're competing against themselves. So yeah. any way you can give a movie time to make money and not have it be kicked out of the theater within two weeks, then all the better. But anything else for Blade Runner? Otherwise, I think that's where we'll leave this one. Nope, I think it's just a, a waiting game now. I, I, I probably don't want to see a whole lot more before October. That'll probably be enough for me to have a sense of uh like the cinematography and stylistically what it's gonna look like. Um I don't really I don't Yeah. Th- I'd probably have to watch that like five more times to even get a sense of really what any of the characters were talking about. Yeah, I mean plot wise, we don't know what the fuck's going yeah. on. There's there's nothing in there to signify what they're trying to accomplish or who's you know, I've assumed Jared Leto's the bad guy, but other than that, I got nothing. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure if I watch it several more times, I could start to piece together things a bit more. But since it isn't just jump out you jump out at you obvious just on one viewing, um, I like that, and I don't really want to have a lot of the story spelled out for me ahead of time right um so yeah at this point it'll just be a waiting game for a couple of months sounds like a plan all right i think that's uh where we'll wrap this one up uh so if you've enjoyed the show you can please stop by itunes leave us a five-star rating and review uh be sure to share subscribe favorite the show uh wherever you you find us to listen to us uh as i mentioned before at the opening you can find us on facebook search for bright guy and super friends or go to www.facebook.com slash Superfriends, and you can send us questions, comments, topics, suggestions, all that stuff there, or email us at uh, Superfriends at gmail.com, or on Twitter at BGSuperFriends, uh, and that will work as well. Uh, and that's it for this week. On behalf of Josh and myself, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you all next time.